Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. 911, what's your emergency? I can't find Captain Nash and his wife's cruise ship. Tonight, 911 comes to ABC. If we're gonna make it out of here, we gotta work together. Tonight at 9 on ABC, followed by 7 News at 11. She was hired to fix DC's 911 problems. It was the worst I'd ever seen. But instead says she was fired for exposing the failures. The blame belongs in leadership. Now the I-team digs into what fueled the mayor's decision. Tonight on 7 News at 5. Everybody, it's your skull monster bruiser, Holden McNeely. That's right, I'm being the skull monster from Kong Skull Island. Everyone remembers the skull monster. And it's me, your favorite character in the whole King Kong canon, Lumpy the Chef. Uh, it's me, Lumpy. Ooh, I got a, I got a, I got a chip on my shoulder, and I love my Chinese friend named Choi. Oh. We don't establish it, but I'm very upset when he <laughs> no, is hurt is it, or inconvenient. Is it canon, Lumpy? Please, it's me, Lumpy. <laughs> And today, our guest to talk about King Kong Part 2, Matt McCarthy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Are you kidding? This is this is exactly where I belong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and I know you've also had Kong fever uh, as of late uh, going through. All, I mean, honestly, just giant monster fever as of late. Talking about all these uh, films that we've been submersed into over the past uh, couple of weeks. How long have you been talking monster movies? Oh, I mean, I literally had to give up at at a certain <laughs> point because it was... They just, they kept moving the release date. I was, my plan was I'm going to watch every single King Kong movie, Godzilla movie, and Mothra movie because Mothra's integral to the whole thing. Right. Leading up to the big release of... Godzilla versus Kong and they moved the release date back and then up. Then all of a sudden I didn't have enough time to get them all in. So I had to like make cuts. Then they moved it back a a bunch of weeks and I was like, okay, now I'll be able to get to everything that I skipped and more stuff. And then they moved it back even further. And I was like, all right, now, now I'm going to watch like, Ghostbusters and Return of the Jedi. <laughs> we'll just hope that they bring them in. At well, because it's because it, I'm like, well, th- <laughs> those two movies in particular started my love of giant monsters. Oh, you know, true, yeah. You know the the Rancor monster and Jedi, and then the, obviously the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. As a but kid, the, I was I was frightened of the Rancor monster as a child. I had to look away. One time in high school in AP English, the the room like it wasn't like you know desks and chairs. It was you know, like four, um, you know, like, like tables, like, like the Dudley boys would put wrestlers through, (laughs) um, four tables together. So like a square with a hole in the middle. And my friend Vin McGinn, he, uh, pushes his pencil off into the center and he goes, Oh, Mr. Lark. And I dropped my pencil and he crawls down (laughs) and he goes, 
Mr. Larkin, there's somebody, there's something down here. And he popped up <laughs> with the Rancor Monster toy from 1983 on his face. That's awesome. It's the Rancor Monster. <laughs> Mr. Larkin stood up, stifling laughter, and said, Mr. McGinn, we are not amused. <laughs> Everyone was amused. Everyone was amused, including Larkin. <laughs> there's something about the, the monster, because... I mean, in the in the modern era, the kaijus have gotten bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah. I think there was that infographic going around a couple of years back where it showed like how tall Godzilla from the 1950s movie would be in relation to modern Tokyo. And he was just like a little pygmy, like just a tiny little lizard man who was just not intimidating at all. Yeah. But I'm saying King Kong and classic Godzilla are about the exact right size that if you're a little kid... That's how big you imagine a grown-up is. True. <laughs> I, re- I remember being at a pool party when I was like four or five, like maybe like my son's age now, and uh, the, the, there was another kid explaining to me like, oh, that's the, the deep end. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody could stand up in the deep end. And I remember genuinely like trying to figure out like, but my dad could stand up in the deep end. Nothing's bigger than my dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, so the dream of destruction, the the just the power fantasy of when you're really little, just thinking how much cool shit you can do and how much damage you could wreck if you were just that much bigger, mm-hmm. I feel like is key to the monster experience. And uh, in a way, that's where like King Kong and Godzilla are similar. But I but it's very weird to, that they're going to be fighting each other. Like Legendary has done a lot of work kind of folding them into the same universe because King Kong is like this tragic figure. He's always like, it's always this beauty and the beast thing where like, it's a, he's always in love with something and you know, he's, he's misunderstood and on the Mm -hmm. run and Godzilla is our own natural reckoning come in lizard form. The the weirdest part is the Godzilla thing for me. I've been doing a lot of thinking about this because of course, Godzilla was a Japanese creation based on our actions at the end of World War II. And so for Legendary to now, for us to be like, oh, now it's ours to, to make this like huge movie franchise out, I guess it's a perfect circle of, of uh, a natural chain of events that they would, you know, <laughs> it's just very funny to me that it's like, yeah, Kong is this tragic figure that some could definitely make some... Um, connections to I think in the history of this country as well and uh and then you have King Godzilla bringing him in and making them fight each other but on our terms I just I don't know I I I've been thinking about that a lot and I wonder who will win well it gets even weirder when you think about legendary uh which is like a subsidiary of like a giant Chinese conglomerate called like the Wanda group and then uh which is also producing it in conjunction with like Tencent Pictures, which is another Chinese conglomerate. And not to be like armchair uh, global history politics weirdo, but like China doesn't particularly care for Japan or America's history in the 20th century. (laughs) Oh, they, they, they definitely are very interested in Japan. A little too (laughs) interested in it. 
Uh, but before we even get into any of that stuff with Legacy, let's go back to the swinging 70s, you guys, where cocaine was king. And they were t- it was they were ready to bring a giant monkey back into the movie business. Uh, and it was none other, back in 1975, uh, it was none other than Dino De Laurentiis who paid RKO for the remake rights to King Kong. Before that, De Laurentiis started out acting and directing, but pretty quickly moved into production, having produced or co-produced more than 500 films over his decades long career. Initially, he was doing Italian neorealist films, working with directors like Fellini, and uh, that would be La Strada in the 50s and 60s. He moved to America in 1976 to do the remake... uh, of of this movie, that's what brought him here. And though De Laurentiis claims the idea to remake Kong was his alone, there was a poster for King Kong uh, in his daughter's room. He said he used to see when he would tuck her into bed, and it gave him the idea. Uh, but also, Michael Eisner, then executive of ABC, says he watched the original and had the idea for a remake, pitched it to Paramount. Uh, the CEO there, Barry Diller, took the idea to De Laurentiis, and uh, De Laurentiis was like, it should be set in modern day, it should take place on the World Trade Center, because no one's going to knock that fucking thing down, and pulled in uh, Lorenzo Simple Jr. to write the script. It's so complicated. First of all, hold in, for your De Laurentiis impression, you have to make him sound like a magical Italian frog? It's a very <laughs> like it is. He's a very, Hello. <laughs> Uh, nobody cry for the shark in Jaws. I make a bigger movie, bigger monkey. Um, I, I would love for that to be a simple racist caricature. Unfortunately, it was just a perfect impersonation. Uh, it's weird that Barry Diller is always involved in this because, uh, Matt, as a fellow college humor paycheck receiver, uh, we both have gotten paid by Barry Diller at some point in our lives. The uh, story of like who stole what idea from who was a gigantic legal battle in the 1970s leading up to the De Laurentiis movie. Suppose Michael Eisner claims he got the whole ball rolling by mentioning it to uh, Universal President Sid Sheinberg, who then met with uh, Barry Diller and Barry Diller took that idea and ran with it for, for Paramount. And it was Diller that hired De Laurentiis. Eventually, At one point, Universal's lawyer claimed that they got a verbal agreement with RKO to get the King Kong rights, while Paramount and De Laurentiis got an actual written deal. And so the two were at each other's throats legally and eventually surmounted in a lawsuit. Marion C. Cooper, the director of the original movie from 1933, also his estate got involved. And so in the legal smoke clearing... Paramount did have the rights to use a to make a remake of King Kong, but Universal got the rights to like the characters from the movie, which is a and also their own ability to make a King Kong movie. So these two companies were just racing to the finish line. And what was supposed to be this like grand, like beautiful epic became a very hurried, just like cutthroat Hollywood uh, standoff between these two companies as they were each trying to make the movie before the other. Uh, yeah, screenwriter Lorenzo Simple said, we made a very deliberate attempt not to be anything like the original movie in tone or mood. Dino wanted it to be light and amusing rather than portentous. I don't think the original was meant to be mythic. The original King Kong is extremely crude. I don't mean it's not wonderful. It was uh, remarkable for its time, but it was a very small backlot picture. We thought times had changed so much that audiences were more sophisticated. Dino it was felt- not a small backlot production. Uh, yeah, that is the <laughs> biggest know, load of shit it's I've ever heard It's such a load of life. fucking trash. 
I, I think this movie's. I don't. I'm going, I want to. The most. It's literally the most <laughs> epic movie ever made. Yeah. It's fucking King Kong. They had to invent. <laughs> Like a thousand new technological advancements to make it possible. The tribal like introduction dance scene has I didn't count, but I think forty eight million people in, in frame. It's an insane production. Yeah, what, it's, a, what an asshole! It's so crazy, and uh, and then and then also I feel like their monkey was arguably not as good. Um, I mean, just to jump to that, Rick Baker uh, famously regrets his work on this film. Feels that the monkey <laughs> co- suit was. Uh, not his best work on any level. And actually, the full-bodied suit was only used, I think, in less than 15 seconds of the film because it was so um, just just not working well. And then actually, the um, the face itself of Kong, that was what he was the most proud of. Uh, he worked with, oh, who did he work with on this? Um, the... Uh, who was oh. the, uh, Carlo Rombaldi? Yeah, uh, Carlo Rombaldi. He worked with uh, to do all of this facial stuff. But even Lexi, I was watching with my wife. She was just like, "It's like it's too expressive. <laughs> it actually makes it looks too cartoonish in a way, um, or a little too like animated in a way that kind of pulls you out of it." But um, it was sort of, yeah, the whole thing. I, I also love Peter Jackson said in an interview, he was like, the 70s Kong feels more dated than the original King Kong because it's just so 70s out. There's like sexploitation elements in there um, with, uh, um, again, what's her name? Jessica Jessica Lang, by the way, made me okay, feel like a boy again watching this. this. Let's talk about this. I felt like a, pre, a pubescent boy watching this movie, watching Jessica Lang. The, the leads in this movie are... Uh, young Jeff Bridges as With a an Amish beard. Yes, <laughs> as a as a as a hip, no nonsense, radical environmentalist paleobiologist who sneaks aboard the ship to uh, you know find proof of ancient life, and a young Jessica Lange in her first movie production. Yeah, she was a model up to this point. Apparently, Meryl Streep was up for the role, but De Laurentiis felt she wasn't. Hot enough, so got a model with no acting. Experience. Supposedly, Barbara Streisand was also up for the role, and uh, but still, they needed that Lang heat. And these two are the most upsettingly sexually powerful figures I have ever seen in a movie. They have chemistry. They have chemistry, and I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to <laughs> go into the room with them, just sit in the corner. Uh, I would have paid good money for that. Uh, was that Matt? Did you watch? Did you watch this uh, back in? The, this is my other problem. I was trying to. I was like, did I even fucking watch this growing up? I feel like it's the kind of Saturday afternoon movie I would have just watched a billion times as a kid, as I was always just sitting around the TV with watching whatever was on. But I don't recall seeing this version of King Kong as a younger boy. No, I, I wasn't even totally aware it existed for a while. I mean, even the. The DVD, I had a hard time even tracking it down. Um, but no, I mean, I never watched it. I, I never remember it being on TV ever. Right? I, and no. I think it's because actually ABC, I think, paid a lot of good money to get the movie so they could show it on they could air it and then i guess maybe they just put it in the in the back burner after that they 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 showed it on tv in like prime time did one of those and did an extended version of it even i believe honestly I, I, now that i think about it i'm not sure that i was even aware of this version of it yeah. until 911 and they <laughs> kept talking about all the movies that the twin towers were in yeah I can see that. I can In the original see that. movie poster, King Kong is standing astride, one foot on each right. tower, 
going like, yeah, fucker, I'm here. One of the things about the movie that's hilarious as part of its lore is De Laurentiis was claiming that he was justifying how he was improving on the old Kong by hyping up the giant mechanical Kong. This was going to be a groundbreaking special effect that would wow audiences and prove that he was not only outdoing the old movies, but he was outdoing Jaws. He was doing a special effects spectacular that was a fully walking, emoting, picking things up. This was going to be King Kong IRL. And it was so unwieldy and so expensive that it only exists for about six seconds in the entire movie. And Mm -hmm. every shot it's in is hilariously awful and stilted. (laughs) It is like, it looks like- like, from super far away, yeah, yeah. From super far away. um, All told, it was $1.7 million worth of aluminum, uh, latex, hydraulic uh, pumps, and uh, Argentinian horsehair covering the whole thing. But it literally looks like someone took- a like gas station Paul Bunyan costume with that like stiff, like close arms, like elbow posture and covered it in a monkey suit. It is so awful and stiff and bad. <laughs> it's uh, it was unveiled during a climactic scene where uh, because they wanted a parallel to the Great Depression, they decided the big rip from the headlines angle for this movie was the gas crisis. This is going to be all about the 70s gas crisis. And so it's not a movie company. It's an oil company. And the reason why they had to bring Kong back was for a uh, marketing campaign where you should buy our gasoline because we kidnapped a giant monkey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But when really they they could have stayed and looked for any of his dead relatives Mm -hmm. for more (laughs) gasoline. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Supposedly on set, just as they were about to unveil the giant mechanical ape, uh, it raised its arm once and then immediately a loud pop was heard and it started leaking hydraulic fluid through its uh, crotch. (laughs) At which point the uh, New Yorkers (laughs) in attendance were like, hey, he's uh, getting a little nervous because he saw the lady. (laughs) Uh, Charles Grodin talks about uh, he played the uh, uh, denim style, like razzle dazzle uh, guy, but he's an oil executive, not a movie executive. Talks about the horror of having to stand there while a giant mechanical foot being operated by swearing Italian technicians were like struggling to get it to fall near him without hitting him. And he had to just stay still and pray that they got it right. Uh, Eventually, The movie was re-edited because test audiences found his character so repugnant that they didn't like that the that he lived through the movie. So when the foot goes down, they cut away and you hear a squish noise suggesting that Charles Grodin's character died. My favorite factoid about this movie is that the role of Don, it was I'm sorry, Jessica Lange's character was originally named Don, but they switched the W and the A and renamed her Dwan (laughs) because they felt that would be a more memorable name. (laughs) Which is so weird. I don't understand it. I don't understand the 70s and I don't understand this movie. And I think that's what I realize now. I just feel like it was a different time and it was a challenge. It's challenging for me. I will, but it is pure sex. And Jessica Lange, she was just on fire. And they lucked out because, I mean, to get a model with no experience, and I think she is actually a great talent. 
So I think they got really lucky with that choice. But I also think it was really funny how, uh, and also gross, how cynical that choice was. Like, Meryl Streep, she doesn't have the bazoongas enough for this role. We really got to get a hot blonde lady. You know what I mean? Something I really want to have. Get somebody who's never acted before so that we can pay her less. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Jessica Lange also describes a horrific experience. Uh, She claims to have gotten bruises, contusions, and uh, various injuries from malfunctioning robot gorilla hands that were constantly grasping her and uh, the coordination needed to have like the monkey finger brush her hair aside would just lead to a giant hydraulic powered death machine just jamming her in the face again while a bunch of Italian engineers are just like the whole time unable to understand anything they thought it was a mechanical snafu but it was actually just Italian men grabbing her As they are wont to do. <laughs> uh, of course, with, as is with every Kong movie, there was a point in the shooting where our lovely heroine had to be uncomfortable for hours, this time in a rubber raft in the freezing cold. Uh, of course, the original um, Anne Darrow, or what was the name of the act- original actress? Faye Ray. Faye Ray. Thing. How could I forget that name? It's Whatever happened to Faye Ray? I th- her head exploded in a freak <laughs> nuclear bomb axe. I don't know. Nothing. I don't. I was quoting Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah, mm. yes, that's right. Um, Which, I if I had continued my marathon of peripheral <laughs> movies, I would have. I would have gotten to line. Rocky Horror Picture Show. I would have gotten to <laughs> goddamn Ready Player One. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Faye Ray, of course. Uh, Do you remember when she was on at the Oscars when they were? I mean, I don't know if I should save this for when we get to the Peter Jackson one, but when they like P- the either the Peter Jackson one was either up for an Oscar or was about to be released. But Faye Ray was at the Oscars. Might have been the last time she was in public. Do you know this story? No. The, the interviewer is like, uh, what about this remake they're doing of uh, of King Kong? And she went off on Naomi Watts <laughs> saying, she thinks she can be me. Well, she can't be me. Only I'm me. <laughs> this That's little awesome. old lady just furious that she was passed over for a King Kong remake. If I could have seen the original... <laughs> Faye Ray as Andaro in the Peter Jackson remake. Just this old woman, oh. this giant monkey monster, just absolutely falling in love with this like very old silver starlet. fox. Yeah. Watching her try to juggle and stuff would have been great. Uh, the whole ice skating scene, of course. But uh, of course, no. We've got uh, Naomi Watson instead. The um, going back to the '70s movie, mixed reviews by critics. Considered a financial disappointment at the box office, but it did pretty well. Uh, NBC, and then again, uh, ended up uh, paying a lot of money. Actually, the most any network ever paid at that time to air a film on their channel, uh, and they believe it was slightly extended. Guys, I'm way more excited to actually to talk about. Uh, King Kong lives. Well, just for the record, I found a uh, old interview in Starlog magazine with the director of 76 Kong, John Gillerman, who a uh, British guy uh, claimed to fame was directing the towering Inferno, made a lot of Tarzan movies. Yes. And so the combination of big budget and jungle shit made him the uh, go to for this movie. He says, uh, uh, when someone was like, ah, tough, you know, tough deal uh, with that flop, the whole King Kong movie, he was like, you know, King Kong was actually commercially very successful. 
Uh, it was successful for Dino De Laurentiis. It was successful for the studio Paramount. In fact, the studio made over $40 million, and they probably did more than $80 million in rentals worldwide. The only problem was that on paper, the film's budget was enormous. So he is very defensive. He It was still a hit. It was the, uh, like... One of the top grossing movies of the year. I love I love that argument of like, you know, technically it made a lot of money, even <laughs> though it lost more money <laughs> than it. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to our studio where we have a special guest with us today, Toucan Sam from Fruit Loops. Toucan Sam, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, and um, it's Fruit Loops, just so you know. Uh, fruit. Fruit. Yeah, fruit. No, it's Fruit Loops. The same way you say studio. That's not how we say it. Fruit Loops, find the loopy side. Made. Also, apparently John Gearman is just a nightmare to work with, just screams at everybody. Apparently the quote about it was like, it doesn't matter if he's making like the most serious thriller ever or a lighthearted comedy, he will be yelling at you until they say rap on the project, which sounds uh, fantastic uh, to, to work with. And he goes on to direct King Kong Lives, produced by, again, Adino De Laurentiis. This is a full decade later. and Weird also, mistake. Weird thing to weird do. Mis- yeah, weird thing to do. And it also takes place in the year of its release. Still is a modern day thing. Kong has laid dormant in a coma for 10 years up until then when Kong gets a blood transfusion and heart transplant with the help of, uh, of the capture of what is deemed Lady Kong. And afterward, they escape. And army assholes get involved. And Kong eventually dies with Lady Kong and their son living peacefully in the jungle on the island from whence they came. Now, uh, this film is my is this film the worst King Kong film? <sighs> It might be. I mean, um, <laughs> the one with the the robot Kong isn't too hot, but it's Mecha Kong, Mechanic Kong, Mechanic Kong. Forgive me, but it is still like you know. I mean, that one is just so confusing because it's yeah. like they're obsessed with Kong, but you have a robot Kong, but then there is the regular Kong. But this one's just bad. This one is just. I mean, you thought the battle was over. But it's just beginning. Even the tagline is <laughs> that 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 there is nothing indicative of it being a King Kong sequel. That's yes. That's every sequel in the 80s. You thought <laughs> you the thought battle was, was over, but it's just beginning. That's like <laughs> the second G.I. Joe TV movie. Right, right. Also, you should know Matt has the DVDs on hand and is uh, reading off of the his own copy of King Kong Lives. Proudly. Was that uh, easier or harder to track down than the than the nineteen? This was easier. This is one that they always seem to have a copy of at like Amoeba, <laughs> which was typically my go to spot. Um, before the world shut down, 
<laughs> what, I don't even know what you're talking about. This is the primordial King Kong movie for me because I distinctly remember being sitting on the shag carpeting with a tiny aerial TV at a, I have to, probably like five years old at this point. And this, and you know, airing on the afternoon movie on WPIX. And this movie, for again, put yourself in the mindset of a five-year-old who knows nothing of like death or injury or like gorillas at all. And the first things that happen in this movie is the ending of the 76 movie in which King Kong gets fucking perforated and explodes with fucking monkey guts before falling off the <laughs> Twin Towers. Cut to a sick giant gorilla in a giant hospital bed with giant fucking oxygen up its nose. Right. Then they cut his fucking chest cavity open, remove his giant pumping gorilla heart, and stick in a robot heart. This is a level of viscera and horror that is burned into my amygdala, and it's like, I can't shake it. It's like, gonna be with me till the day I die. And the fact that this movie is so bad... Um, I have a fantastic Dino De Laurentiis quote that I'm going to give you right now because it just made it's just so 70s Hollywood. Steve McQueen made a picture in which he died at the end, but they made another picture with Steve McQueen. Many stars die at the end of a picture and then go on to the next picture. Kong is a star. We're going to have a new story, a new Kong. I love that guy. <laughs> A 1986 Fangoria magazine interviewed the uh, writers of the movie. And um, uh, one of the writers uh, says uh, when he's introducing the concept of bringing in Lady Kong, Dino De Laurentiis replies, no one is going to believe a female ape. And so the writer replies, Dino, Kong had to have a mother. And Dino answers back. By God, you're right. I never think of that. There can be a female. And so we went with it. (laughs) It's how he talks. He talks like a magical Italian frog. Kids, when you're working in this town, you just got to know how to talk to these execs. (laughs) (laughs) But Kong had to have a mother, right? Uh, Yeah, exactly. There were so many dumb versions of the script before this dumb version was made, apparently, according to writer Steve Pressfield, who said they had King Kong in Russia and King Kong in outer space. Really, this is not an exaggeration. They even had one with little kids leading him around, saying things like, careful, Kong, don't step on that car. It really was an embarrassment. Careful with that axe, Eugene. (laughs) (laughs) You ever hear Um, the story about De Laurentiis? Like, because he... Because it's like he produced so much shit, but then he also produced like like David Lynch movies and stuff. Blue Velvet came out like the right. year King Kong Lives came out, I think, or, or the that other Kong. It's yeah, it's so crazy. crazy. It's like you watch like Barbarella, but then you watch, you know, like. But, but the uh, the story I always heard was, um, and I don't know if this is true, but it, like because he produced um, Maximum Overdrive, the Stephen King directed mm. movie where, Hell you know. Yeah machines turn on us yes and the 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 rumor was or the story goes that because at the very beginning of the movie like steven is does a like a hitchcock cameo and uh that like de Laurentiis, i i he must have been shooting dune or black or blue velvet or something at the same time and he made uh lynch direct that scene so there's like the, the the rumor is is there's one scene in Maximum Overdrive directed by David Lynch and he did not want credit or acknowledgement or <laughs> that is so bizarre. 
Oh my god. Yeah, it, it, it talk about a guy who is, who is so hit or miss. It's like kind of shocking, but he it, swings big. Swings huge. Big monkey arms he's swinging with for sure. Big um, robot monkey arms. <laughs> we hit it to the moon, Stephen. A uh, David direct this shot. A little froggier. You need to throw a smidge of frog in there. <laughs> and you're there. Um, uh, and screenwriter uh, Steve Pressfield had this to say as well. We even give a nod. I love it. I'm going to say this in old-timey Hollywood. We even give a nod to women's lib with Lady Kong falling for the male scientist. Of course, this is before she meets the king. Wow. <laughs> what a what a bedwetting feminist this guy is. Just. Uh, and uh, film critic Roger Ebert had this to say. The problem with everyone in King Kong Lives is that they're in a boring movie and they know they're in a boring movie <laughs> and, they just, and they just can't stir themselves to make an effort. And most people agreed with him. The film is a massive box office flop uh, and it came in a series of flops for De Laurentiis actually, which drove his company into bankruptcy. So that is where we leave De Laurentiis's, um addition to the King Kong franchise. I'm not suggesting you watch this movie. I am suggesting <laughs> that you watch the first 10 minutes to just uh, just so my trauma can be shared with more people. And uh, at some point, fast forward so you can actually see the costume for Lady Kong. Because, oh man, that is that is some awkward gorilla boobies. I'll just tell you that much. Jesus God in heaven. <laughs> Um, I did not see The Mighty Kong, the direct-to-video animated musical adaptation. I'm not sure if either of you caught any of that. Uh, it is the final role that Dudley Moore did before his death in 2002. Uh, he plays Carl Denham and Kong as well. He does the Kong grunts, apparently. And Anne Darrow here is played by Jodie Benson, who voiced Ariel in Disney's Little Mermaid. So, not a terrible mm. cast. I might I might try to check it out at some point. Uh, that was definitely that? on the list. Um, oh shit! I don't have the director uh, on here, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Seems no. like it was like Dudley Moore's joint in a lot of ways. But uh, man, Peter Jackson's King Kong. So I I had Lord of the Rings fever back when that uh, original that series came out. I, I mean, just so into it. So felt like the man could do no wrong. Weirdly, though, never watched this three-hour Kong, and I think that's because it was a three-hour-long movie. And I always, it was, you know, with a three hour long movie, a lot of times you're like gonna get around to it. You never do, especially after I heard, you know, uh, it's bad and they go ice skating at one point and, you know, this, that, and the other. And he's clearly exhausted and he should take a break for a year, you know, and all these sorts of things. So to go back and watch it now, I have thoughts. And, uh, Peter Jackson, I mean, we talked about Peter Jackson in the first episode because of his undying love for Kong. He's got one of the original King Kong models from the 1933 film. To be fair, it's now a rusty aluminum skeleton, but it still counts. But either way, Peter Jackson said, when I saw King Kong when I was nine years old, it did make me want to become a filmmaker. I remember that it was on TV on a Friday night here in New Zealand, and the very next day after I saw King Kong, I started making little stop-motion films with a Super 8 camera uh, that my parents had used for home movies. I mean, he said he cried when he saw it at this age, He wanted, and he wanted to bring that same emotion, everything, to uh, to 
his Kong. He cut to Peter Jackson after making such cold hits as Meet the Feebles, Bad Taste, as well as the Hollywood crossover film for him, Heavenly Creatures, which is fantastic. This led him to getting to make his first big Hollywood film, The Frighteners, for Universal Pictures, who just so happened to also own the rights to King Kong. And uh, apparently their original script during this time, so they're like working on a Kong movie this early, before Lord of the Rings. They, it was much more lighthearted. It was like an Indiana Jones caper type of King Kong film. Jackson said, we were desperately trying to write an Indiana Jones type of film. It was lightweight, a silly kind of Hollywood script. They likened it to the tone of the Mummy reboot. So the point where they saw that Mummy movie, that Brendan Fraser Mummy movie, and they were like, did they read our script? Because this is like the same kind of jam we're working on. And, and, and uh, they did actually, in that original script, they did have the Kong versus the three T-Rexes fight which is pretty great. They also had the Brontosaurus stampede. That's about it. And it's, this is back in the late 90s. Yeah, and, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, supposedly they got the original script that Universal had scripted back in the 70s during that initial legal fight, which was done by the same guy who uh, wrote and directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I wish um, it was Ken Kesey. <laughs> I wish it actually was like that tripped out Ken Kesey Kong in his cabin. Just, Removing a giant water fountain from... And uh, <laughs> the Frighteners actually had a lot of hype behind it. People were very excited for... I, was hi- I remember I was hyped for the Frighteners. So, you know, uh, a lot of... So there was a lot of dealing to try and get this script in the hand... To get this production in the hands of Peter Jackson. Uh, his first movie, Brain Dead, uh, you know, had a call out to Skull Island saying that's where the zombie plague started. Yeah. But um, he was first offered... Planet of the Apes as a remake, and this was back in the 90s. He was also working to get the Lord of the Rings rights. Uh, He was also working with famous uh, piece of shit, Harvey Weinstein. And uh, the order of events is a little bit shaky, but Jackson decided to move forward on King Kong. Uh, Harvey Weinstein was mad at him. And so Jackson tried to get a deal working between Universal and Miramax so that the two studios could both finance King Kong. Universal got uh, domestic distribution. Miramax got foreign distribution. uh, And Peter Jackson got final cut privileges and a cut of the profits, as well as um, uh, permission to get all the visual effects handled in New Zealand. This was all settled in 1996, before he had even proved himself with The Lord of the Rings. So, like, he and really- Frighteners comes out and performs poorly at the box office. So audiences were frightened. <laughs> <laughs> also, audiences were already getting Mighty Joe Young, and and hilariously, they didn't want to compete with that 1998 Godzilla movie that, of course, took the whole country by storm. I remember seeing it in the movie oh, theater. Boy. Everybody loves it. You know, uh, interesting. So- <laughs> you bring up Harvey Weinstein. Uh, the female Kong, the reason she never worked again is because she refused <laughs> to sleep with that I've scumbag. Heard, I've heard you, that story yeah. a couple times. I heard that story. Uh, so Jackson goes off to make Lord of the Rings. It is so successful that he does get to go back and work on this old script. And then they make, of course, all those changes. They make it a much more somber, self-serious thing. They bring it to the time period of, of the 30s, back when the original film was made. Jackson said, The one thing that The Lord of the Rings had taught us that we did not know in 1996 is that fantasy is best told in a very realistic way. The lesson we took in rewriting Kong last year was that the best fantasy experience in the cinema is one in which you utterly believe in what's happening and in which the characters believe. 
believe in what's happening. Whoops, so. he was wrong. Um, yeah, he was a little wrong. <laughs> Actually, he was right. I think his Kong would have been great if it was at most two hours long. Um, but he couldn't. It's it was his baby. Um, you know, it was the Weta workshop that he had worked with for so long. It was the uh, co-writers he worked with for so long. It was the- well, that was the reason. So that was the whole reason why, though. So he goes straight from an eight-year journey or nine-year journey making Lord of the Rings the trilogy, and then immediately because he doesn't want to lose his people. Even though he's admitting to himself, like, and I ha- I'll probably have a quote in a little bit, admitting to himself, oh yeah, I'll just say it right now. When we flew over to Los Angeles for the Oscars for Return of the King, we were in a Kong production meeting the following day. We had a universal script meeting the day after the Oscars, and the day after that, I got on a plane and flew to New York and met with Fay Ray. We got a tour up the top of the Empire State Building, and we were taking photos and videotaping the top of the entire Empire State Building for building our sets. So it's hilarious to me that this movie, which is about this, like, director that it essentially kills himself and everyone around him to make this King Kong movie is like so meta to what's happening. Peter Jackson's like a shell of a human at this point. But I guess because he doesn't want to lose this Kong movie because it's like his beloved thing since childhood and he didn't want to lose his way to workshop people and anything like that. He just wanted to keep them uh, working with him. He just immediately went into this and it just sounds fucking exhausting. And after what happened with uh, The Mummy... He he wanted to get this one out before the Scorpion King <laughs> stole all of his good ideas. I'm going to go ahead and say I saw the Scorpion King in the movie theater, and that was a great fucking time. I oh, really yeah. enjoyed it. If God, I, I love they that strapped movie. the ro- rocket to Dwayne after that. That was the I mean, that was the proving ground for me with the rock, too, because I was yeah. big. That was my era of wrestling. And I definitely saw I saw I, I went to see a wrestler and I left having seen an actor. <laughs> I went to see the Scorpion King and I saw the face of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. God was in the uh, post credits teaser. I forgot about that. Um, all right. Uh, what else do we got? On this. And, and and he what Peter Jackson had done is he went on an un, eight year unexpected journey. Uh, yes. <laughs> Where's my ring heads? Where's my ring heads at? So I was a huge. I was ter, I was already terminally online at this point, and Peter Jackson was releasing so much behind the scenes content for every slavering ain't it cool news junkie. In, on the internet at this era. Everything from how the score was made, the color grading, the just, there were so many fucking steps involved where he was bringing in miniatures and mocap and, you know, models and sets and just this giant 200, $300 million machine to bring this world to life. Um, shout out to him and his writing team for including the character Lumpy, played by Andy Serkis, the sassy chef. Uh, who was actually a character from the 1932 novelization, which is a weird piece of King Kong canon I didn't yes. know before this. The Chinese guy? No, Choi, Choi was the cook in the oh. first one, but then they introduced- who shows up again in Son of Kong. Yeah, but then mm-hmm. Choi is kind of sidelined, but they make it so that Lumpy loves Choi. So there's so much like slavish dedication to capturing these moments and like things from the 1933 movie to the point where they- uh, reshot the spider insect den scene, which was only this fable deleted scene that was never shot or maybe was shot. Nobody knows. It's a terrifying fucking thing. I will, I will give them this for this is definitely the most horrific interpretation of Skull Island. 
They get that for the whole for the whole series. I mean, every inch that scene with her uh, in the log mm-hmm. with the centipede monsters is one of that is just like one of the grossest, most terrifying. I I feel like thoughts or or um, imaginations I could have of like being attacked by giant bugs, and then that's even before the canyon stuff. I mean, that is the most uninviting Skull Island of of all the series. So I feel like this is the major flaw with the movie, and it's that uh, Peter Jackson learned from Lord of the Rings that people it's really hours long. just want to stay in the world of the movie he made. He, they want to be in Middle Earth. They yes, will sit through yes. extended editions. They will sit through marathons. I love this, what you're saying. I thought exactly this while I was watching. Go on. But in King Kong, the two worlds that he slavishly and lovingly reenacts to its almost full potential is Depression-era New York with the failing theater industry and upsettingly dangerous murder island that is like neither place is fun to be in and he spends three hours just leaving us there it's also i think it has suffers from a ton of pacing issues and i think the one thing he forgot that you actually gushed about last week jake was that you know the first movie there's about 30 minutes if that of setup Mm -hmm. and then once they introduce kong really once they get to the island it is like a non-stop roller coaster ride right Whereas in this movie, I mean, they keep even it kind of was shocking to me. And I'd always heard about the ice skating stuff. And I know I've already mentioned a couple times, but it's less that even the ice skating moment happened. It's more that like you expect once Kong busts out of that theater, you expect from then on to be just a nonstop action roller coaster ride like I mentioned right instead it gets really slow and quiet again all I could think about are all those people who saw this movie in the movie theater who by two hours and 40 minutes in now have to stop everything and watch this very quiet moment between Kong and um and and Dara Darrow I just it just that doesn't work it takes an hour just to get on to the Island. Holden, I was not only there in the theater, I went with a bunch of friends to a midnight premiere. I couldn't ma- imagine. I, when they hit the ice, I thought I was going to die. I was <sighs> physically ill by that point. I was not having fun. I think that's the main memo that I don't think the 70s Kong got, that I don't think this Kong got. And even Skull, I would say Skull Island actually... But it's different. They don't try to follow the the same format of taking him back to New York and everything. But but yeah, they, you, it's like once Kong's out, it should. There was like a tiny lull when they get to the theater in the original one, and then it just kept going forward in terms of just action moments and all that kind of stuff and and, and terror. Both those movies. I remember Lexi at the end of the seventies. Kong was just like, this is bumming me out. Why is it like this? <laughs> well, it's just so slow and so sad. And, and I don't know. I think they're trying too hard to get that emotional aspect where you just get that emotional aspect by the sheer nature of the story. Uh, 1930s Kong, you introduce Anne like, oh, I'm down to my luck. And Jack Denham's like, I'm a movie producer that'll stop at nothing to get what I yeah. want. And like in the 2005 Kong, we have 20 minutes of Anne Darrow being down on her luck and 30 minutes of Jack Denham being a scumbag. And it's like, we didn't gain anything from that extra characterization. They're still incredibly tropey characters. Yeah. <laughs> I will say Andy Serkis as mocap Kong, a grim prelude to his future career as monkey uh, avatar, which is just a weird career for a guy to have, uh, is very expressive. He's very charming. You know, you you get to know him as a monkey friend. 
Yes, I did get to know him. I felt like he was my monkey friend by right. the end. Matt, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> give a proposition to you. Okay. King Kong is not an actual gorilla who happens to be big. King Kong is a monster ape who is more than a monkey, and therefore this version of Kong is less exciting. I don't know if I followed what you just said. So this King Kong is the most monkey of all the King oh, Kongs. Oh, okay. He's the most like just a straight up monkey. Like they just watched a bunch of silverback gorilla footage and he circus just studied with monkeys. He actually went to the London Zoo to study with monkeys. Then he traveled to Rwanda to observe the actions and behaviors of gorillas. He's just the most this like- so irritating. <laughs> right? Well- like, well, where is he? He's studying monkeys. <laughs> He's rolling around with a fucking bunch of monkeys in like, Rwanda. Oh, my God. Fucking De Niro over here eating bananas <laughs> until we rap. <laughs> um, by the way, you have to refer to him as a monkey. Right. When he, even when he's at craft services. He's learned American Sign Language <laughs> during the breaks. He will only respond to you. And like the real Coco the gorilla, you will have to show him your nipples right. constantly. We hired Jane like, Fonda. A, this is a to- slight digression, but like, like that's the weird thing. Like when you would go to Amoeba and the King Kong section, like they have Mighty Joe Young. And I'm like, okay, yeah. it's, you know, the same creative team, but they also have Congo. That's where they put Congo. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Hell <laughs> Ladies, have people. you now? But then also, you you're the guy that goes up to the manager of Amoebas, like, hey, right. can I talk to you for? A like, listen, uh, Congo's the only one I don't want. <laughs> My Joe Young, I get it. Um, but Matt, I, don't dodge the question: Is Kong better when he is less monkey-like and more man-ish? I mean, God, I've really never thought about it that way. I mean, it he's. But I mean, I guess that's what works about because the fact is that he, you know, 1933 Kong, he climbs the Empire State Building because it's like, well, that's what a monkey would do. (laughs) He would just climb up. You know, it's like when you have a cat tree, whoever the alpha is sits at the top of the, the cat tree. So it's like Kong is he's trying to escape. Well, they're not even fucking with him at that point yet because it's it's once he's at the top is when they send in the clowns with the guns and stuff. Yep. The so he's just he's got his he's looking for his babe. He's got his babe. First of all, I love the woman that he just pulls out and is just like wrong yes. and kills yes. her. And I will say Peter Jackson did do a nod to that right. twice. And or three times he actually a lady kills a lot of blonde women for a bit yes. in the 2000s. It's so fun to watch you. Um, but so it's interesting. I mean, put it this way. I I think there is something to be said that what it is about Kong that we love isn't the monkey stuff. It's that he's big and mean, (laughs) right? I mean, like, I'm like, I'm nobody's nobody, nobody up until that point had watched a King Kong movie and was just like, you know, a monkey would never do that. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, it's like, I don't need to watch a Godzilla movie and be like, oh, this is an interesting stage for any lizard. <laughs> you know? Oh, he's malting. No, this is... I think it's more... In fact, if anything, I would argue this one, it's so weird because of the more... Hu- or the maybe not human, but the more the deep connection they really, really push to have between Kong and, and Darrow that's like more than just 
this kind of beast obsession with this one uh, uh, woman. It, they, they, it's like a, it's like a will they, won't they? After a while, you know what yeah. I mean? It's to, very to, unnecessary to such a degree. They try to sell it so hard that you you just start to you ju- it just deflates the whole thing. I feel like no from 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 credit to credit, everyone in the film, in front of the camera and behind the camera, is taking themselves so fucking seriously yes yes i mean jack black and i love jack black but it's just like i can't stand him in this movie because i'm just like oh it was beauty killed him. it's just like, shut the fuck up dude you know <laughs> and naomi watts it's just like it's like all right we get it we get it you're not Faye ray Faye ray just said so yeah Faye ray just fucking told your ass that so i don't know why you would even but yeah i mean like especially looking at the lord of the Rings stuff it's like i can accept because it's middle earth so it's like it it does have a what what i'm getting at is like the 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 green screen the computer effects all that stuff it works for me watching lord of the rings because it is a dream world so the whole thing isn't isn't our reality yeah right whereas in king kong when they're back in the city i'm like i know what new york city looks like whether in the 30s or not, you know, just from movies and pictures, I'm like, it makes it that much faker. Oh, yes. my God. To there is to be the 30s. There is so many shots like I'm going to say 40 percent of the movie is actors on a green screen pretending to, like, get nearly missed by things that aren't there. And yeah. even compared to um, even the 76 movie, like it just uh, it's I'm going to use this uh, uh, Siskel and Eber quote again. Uh, stop motion looks fake but feels real and CG looks real and feels fake. There's just... Absolutely. And uh, the animators are working their ass off. There's really good choreography. The creatures are interacting in interesting ways. Like, I don't want to... You know, these are artisans doing their damnedest, but you cut to Adrian Brody going, whoa! Whoa! whoa." (laughs) That that was my favorite thing when when cats came (laughs) out. Like people yes. shit on the effects people. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, there was some motherfucker breathing down their neck, just like tapping their <laughs> watch, being like, it, at some point, it's good enough, fellas. <laughs> it feels like a theme park ride. That same experience yes, where actors are so... safe in a physical set, reacting and looking at stuff around them, and all the things happening outside of them, you know, yeah. can't touch them. Have you ever gone on the the backlot tour at Universal where they have the thing with Kong? Uh, never got the to, confrontation. No. Yes, I remember it as a child. Is that what it's called? It and still, I don't know if it's. I think it still exists in Universal Studios Orlando, but it burned down in L.A. It burned down in L.A. Yeah, the that uh, the Kong attraction uh, got it was on fire in the two. No, but I did get to go to Moe's Tavern in <laughs> Simpsons Land, and that was. Oh my super god! Fun. When did that happen? When we had fires like last year. Google it up. Holy shit. So, yeah, this this movie, and maybe I was also projecting my own exhaustion. 2008, so not that oh, long. Oh, okay. Ago. I'm talking about something different where you like you you ride in the like the tram around the back lot mm-hmm. and uh-huh. you you stop in a like a Quonset hut or something and it's like it's it's like you're in a 3D movie where Kong fights the uh, oh they one they of the dinosaurs ad- they added that to replace it Peter Jackson like went back and added new footage and helped make that oh shut to up. replace the Kong huh. attraction that burned down wow fucking don't you just love this Peter Jackson guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a great guy. Don't you just want to take him inside and like 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 hose him off and like wash him? I want to let him have a nap. And that was what I was gonna say. Right. Just to sum up this King Kong film, and maybe it's my own projecting my own exhaustion because I am a bit conged out. It was a bit of a two-week Kong cram, and I'm a bit conged out. And uh this was the last of of all the movies that I watched uh leading up, you know, to this episode. And and I could just feel the exhaustion of him, him, his entire crew. I mean, he brought everybody with him. He brought his choreographer, his production people. Like, they all came with him directly from Lord of the Rings trilogy into this movie. And I just get that. I get that vibe. But I don't know that he would make a better movie after a year off either. I'm not really sure. It's... It just seems maybe he would have made a maybe he would have made a shorter movie if he had taken a year off. That's what I'm thinking. It definitely seems like you could easily trim a full hour off of this film. There oh was an God. extended edition. I watched that, and that had and there's twenty. There's an extended edition. I was like, "Are you fucking <laughs> Shut kidding up. me?" There is. There's I a watched three it. Three hour and twenty minute long version, right, yep. Jake? But like those extra twelve minutes. <laughs> Hear me out. What if there's just more people being pissed off in a shitty jungle? Uh, Have you guys seen a Godfather Coda, the death of Michael Corleone? No. It's it's Coppola just put it out where he recut Godfather three. Oh, and man. it's about it's about 20 minutes shorter. The okay. cuts are so subtle, like the, the opening is totally different and the end. It ends differently. But is it better? It I'm t- I'm, t- I'm here to tell you, I am someone who loves one, loves two. I hate hate godfather three so you're like everybody else go on <laughs> i watched coda and was like i can't believe i'm about to say this it's so fucking good it's I'm, so I'm, much I'm better down. and it's such it's just music cues are different it, it really speaks to the like the subtlety the subtle beauty the, the subtle art of editing how like some of these small changes make all the difference in the world like if you've ever watched the uh like extended cut of terminator 2 it ruins that movie uh huh. It mm-hmm. makes it feel like I remember watching that, not even realizing that that's what we were watching, and just turning to whoever I was with and being like, "I don't remember Terminator Two being so fucking dull." <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, I had the same experience, by the way, with a uh, forty-year-old virgin. I had uh, I had rented it and I accidentally rented the extended version, and I was just like, "Why do I, why does everyone love this?" Oh God, Apatow is the worst. It's just like with dude, with, with overblown, and-, and then to see oh. an extended version of it, it's and not like- in the theater and alone, I was like, "Why do people give a fuck about like I know. what?" <laughs> it's like Judd. There are cuts. <laughs> Jet Peter, there are yeah, cuts. Peter, there are cuts. You know, be like Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick would yes. cut something and burn it. Yeah. He'd, f- he'd fuck it. He'd fuck the cut yes. and then he'd throw it out the he window. Would fuck yeah. it and burn it. <laughs> but keep everything else. <laughs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sofas, recliners, love seats. Everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute. Who's been finger painting on the couch again? 
That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. <laughs> at the end of the day, King Kong earned, uh, got fifth place in worldwide box office for sure. 2005. Did- it did fine. Losing uh, $562 million, losing out to War of the Worlds, Chronicles of Narnia, Star Wars Episode Three, and the big winner that year was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. So, uh, you know, tentpole franchises, remakes, whatever. People were down with it in 2005. Uh, I forgot about that War of the Worlds bullshit. I, uh, I, I snuck into that, actually. It was kind of 9-11, kind of 9-11-y. Yeah. That was the hot, that was yeah. the hot move. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't You're into right. it either. I was into the very beginning of it. I, I'll say I, just real quick. I want uh, before we push through into the final into Kong Skull Island and close out and everything. Uh, I want to say about Peter Jackson's Kong. I do like that they made the monkey, which I think they used in Kong Skull Island. They made Kong this like weathered, scarred yeah. monkey that had been this ancient kind of godlike creature which i thought was really cool and well done and i think that was one of the thing i was going to say but i can't even remember i just think that um they they i think that oh this was what it was essentially back in the original 1930s and i think this is true for all the movies no one had seen anything like kong in the theater like no one had seen anything like oh, it. oh right well that's why they the guys who made godzilla it was because they had re-released king kong and they yeah. saw that, and uh, what's the other one? The um, the Beast of uh, the something was like You've the got, other one. You, watched, you probably watched it out of oh, pure desperation did. for content. It might have been the Beast of twenty <laughs> from twenty thousand fathoms. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but they were like, yeah. they were like, oh my god, this is this is what a movie's supposed to be, right? And and so ever since then, I think what's been hard for Kong that have, that it's been easier for even like a Godzilla movie, especially like the newer one, like Godzilla King All Monsters, you have all these huge monsters fighting, so you can fill up a whole movie with that. In this one, like, you show Kong, and I think what they want you to react, the way they want you to react is like, oh my God, this is unbelievable, but it's like, instead we're all like, seeing it, and then we kind of have to exist with this one big monkey for the rest of the movie. And, and, and even in Kong Skull Island, like, the monkey's not enough. They have to introduce those like skull monsters that are badass and do all these fight set pieces. And even in the original Kong, they had dinosaurs. So it just felt mm-hmm. uh, very the '70s Kong and the Peter Jackson Kong. I feel like they relied too much on our our being in awe about the the monster, and it's so undercut just by a whole history of action cinema and, and monsters. In the '76 Kong, he does fight a really dumb looking snake for like five seconds. I enjoyed the python fight. Actually, Very good. Uh, I thought that was fun. All right, let's talk about Kong Skull Island. Uh, of course, the beast lays dormant for another decade until Warner Brothers Pictures and Legendary Entertainment started pursuing the monster verse. And hold uh, on, that- Holden, combo breaker. Yeah, you should know that uh, in I believe it was 2013, a little musical was staged in Australia. Uh, right. Yeah, uh, it then uh, made its way from. Uh, Melbourne, all the way to the great stage of Broadway, and it was um, uh, universally panned and was uh, derided as having an incredibly boring plot and a very underwhelming score. Uh, Mary, if you can play a clip from the King Kong musical. Going up, 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 going up,
Here's the thing, though. It had a giant animatronic marionette that was controlled by five people at once. And so it lumbered throughout the stage. Uh, Unfortunately, it couldn't move very well. So they would just use like a, a video screen behind it. So if it was running through the streets of New York, you'd see an animation of CG buildings and the puppet would be like, and then like it was climbing the Empire State Building. There'd be a footage of uh, a building going up and then the puppet would be like, it was very, it was very interesting. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Nobody liked it. Nobody liked it. Yeah. No one gives a shit. So Kong Skull Island, right? Pretty cool movie, huh? Uh, that <laughs> that, uh, that was because of the success of Godzilla in 2014. So now they're going to create, you know, everything's got to be a universe now. You know, Marvel started it and everyone's got to do it. They, Tom Cruise t- tried to do it with the mummy. Didn't fucking work. But uh, Godzilla 2014, its success. I remember seeing that in the movie and I was like, get rid of all these humans. I just want the monster parts. Uh, that led to Kong Skull Island in 2017. Uh, Legendary gains the rights from Toho for Godzilla. That movie being a success, they sell their, uh, they set their sights on the Kong movie. First announced twenty four. I think again, they also don't need. It is now in public domain, so they don't exactly need Kong, right? Um, uh, rights wise from anybody, they end up taking their Kong project over to Warner Brothers because they're like, I bet we could make a fucking mint off of a Kong versus Godzilla movie if we can just make this first one work well enough. So uh, they end up nailing down John Voight Roberts to direct back in 2014. He's an interesting guy. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're now also in this phase of Hollywood filmmaking where we're getting dewy-eyed indie filmmakers to do big franchise projects. Voight Roberts fits this bill. He started in web series directing. Then he had an indie hit with the Kings of Summer. And then they offer him Skull Island. And uh, for continuity's sake, they brought in the 2014 Godzilla screenwriter, Max Bornstein, who's, uh, who sought to move away from the Beauty and the Beast storyline of the other films and took this Apocalypse Now approach. That was their big influence was Apocalypse Now. Bornstein said, I like the idea of people moving upriver to face a misunderstood force that they think of as a villain, but ultimately they come to realize it is much more complicated. So yeah, that's why they had it taking place at the end of the Vietnam War, and um, they brought in major screenwriters uh, Dan Gilroy, who did Nightcrawler, and Derek Connolly, who did Jurassic World, um, to to write it. I like Skull Island. I think yeah. it's... I, I think it's a good, good fun time. Absolutely. They do a couple of things right by by Kong, which I think is very important. They completely abandon the most of the story and beats from the original movie. They understand that, like, it's not that important that he takes a blonde woman to the top of the Empire State Building and is killed by an airplane specifically. Like, uh, having it said in... Uh, a Southeast Asian island, keeping it close to its uh, roots. But, you know, Brie Larson is like the blonde lady in this movie. And there's like, he's not particularly obsessed with her. She's just kind of there. And Kong, as a character, he's given a redesign. He's less ape-like. He's more just kind of this primal god standing on two legs, got a real firm dump truck ass. And um, it's uh, the director, uh, what's his name? Voight. uh, Voight Jordan. Yeah, Jordan Roberts says that he's inspired not just by the original movie, but stuff like Princess Mononoke, the idea of this like ancient jungle where all these forest gods who are whose motives are kind of hard to suss are like, you know, interacting with each other in a gentle balance. 
Um, the idea of the skull walkers is kind of interesting because those are the main villain in this movie and they are directly lifted from the 1933 movie because there's one scene where this random two legged lizard, uh, during the, where the, you know, the sailors are knocked off the tree trunk and Driscoll is like hiding in that one cave and Kong is trying to get him. And then a, this weird mo- like the one monster in the entire movie that isn't a fucking dinosaur. It's amazing that they kind of imprinted on him. Uh, comes in and kind of takes over as the main antagonist, the one thing that's like not natural about this world. But Kong is kind of a badass in this. He's, you know, saw, you know, he's, he's less emotive. He's just kind of this stern protector figure who's just big and kicks ass and doesn't take shit. A quote, lo- uh, yeah, a quote, lonely God. He was a morose figure lumbering around this island. And again, you know, even though he's less monkey than the last, uh, than Peter Jackson's Kong, he still has that weathered, scarred appearance, this like he's been around forever, uh, which I think is awesome. It's a more pure power fantasy. And I think it works way better if you are going to try and bring Kong kicking and screaming into the 21st century. I also just love that this is a video game anime nerd that made this. So all this stuff is inspired. The uh, the skull crawlers are inspired by yeah the first angel from Evangelion, No Face from Spirited Away, and Cubone from Pokemon, which is amazing. And uh, and also uh, about video games, what Robert said on Kong, I very adamantly tried to hire concept artists who had never done movies and really only worked in the video game world, just because I felt that it's fresh and hopefully we were going to get more creative creativity out of it, less of a derivative feel from guys that have just been working on every movie over the last 20 years. So he even brought in Joseph Cross, a lead artist at Bungie who worked on the video game Destiny. Um, There's a boat in the film that displays the name Gray Fox as an homage to the Metal Gear franchise, and he's actually working on making a Metal Gear Solid movie right now, which is very exciting to me, because I did love, uh, I did enjoy Skull Island, I do think that Metal Gear Solid could make for some dope films, so that is cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Great cast. Tom Hiddleston, Samuel L. Jackson, John Goodman, Brie Larson, John C. Riley. John C. Riley, man, oh, kills it. He kills it. He's so kills fucking, it. he's like, he's, he's funny, but it, it's like he's goofy, but it's not annoying. And it's, it's almost not even goofy. You're just like, oh, this guy's fucking like strung out. He's, yeah. He's, he has had his fill of Skull Island. He's just shell shocked <laughs> and like. You know, I love just, it. We got to get out of here toot sweet. I'm just like, oh, that is so a thing good. Of beauty. Uh, I so, yeah. noticed another nerdy Easter egg in the movie. John C. Riley's leather jacket has the phrase good for your health on the back, which is the mm. exact same phrase that was on Canada's uh, jacket in the movie Akira, uh, which we covered in a previous episode a lifetime ago at this point. Yeah, I love the anime video game nerdiness that's seeping through this film that I had no idea about. And uh, yeah. I uh, think it sets up perfectly Kong to come back in the MonsterVerse via Monarch and Godzilla and all this other stuff. Oh, God. Uh, King of the Godzilla Monsters Kong. nuts itself constantly making Skull Island references. Yeah, yeah. I, I fucking really enjoyed King of the Monsters. Um, and, of course, Godzilla vs. Kong, directed by Adam Wingard. Uh, I'm a huge... Of Death Note fame. I hate that that's what you always bring up. Yes, he made the bad live-action Death Note for uh, Netflix, but he also made Your Next, which is a banger horror movie, and The Guest, which is like this incredible fucking thriller that uh, everybody should watch. Everybody watch Your Next and The Guest if you want to get hyped for uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. And he used all of the skills and information and uh, experience from making those great movies to make the live-action Death Note on Netflix. Ugh. 
Also, I will say this. Adam Wingard says the thing that every director says, essentially, uh, when they go into directing one of these movies in modern day. He said, I really want you to take those characters seriously. I want you to be emotionally invested, not just in the human characters, but actually in the monsters. It's a massive monster brawl movie. There's lots of monsters going crazy on each other. But at the end of the day, I want there to be an emotional drive to it. I want you to be emotionally invested in them. Nope. I think that... <laughs> I think this that's what's going to make fucking, it really cool. It's such a studio note of just it's like... It's such a press, yeah. I'm just, like, uh, I'm just not emotionally invested in, the, in these characters. It's like, you're just saying things to say something <laughs> because you're not creative and you have to give notes on this. That's all it is. Um, Can I piggyback off that? Uh, yeah, yeah. All oh I want from God. this movie is <laughs> King Kong to shove an entire tree down Godzilla's mouth like in the Japanese version. That's all I want. Yes. There will be a definitive winner, by the way. Ooh. They have stated that. There will be an ad- absolute winner. So who do you think it's going to be? I'm rooting Godzilla. Uh, which movie made more money? That's the answer. <laughs> I just think we owe Japanese some kind of, uh, you know, sorry about nuking your whole country. And I think it's the best way to do it. Just make Godzilla no, win. I mean, as a professional wrestling fan, I, you know how it works. Whoever's leaving the territory does the job. Godzilla's going back to Toho, back to Japan. He's got to put over our guy because King Kong is staying in the States. If yeah. he loses to if he loses to Godzilla, he's not going to be able to draw. We need butts in seats. Kong I, in the first reel. Everything is wrestling. <laughs> That's the lesson we always come to every episode yes. is well, everything is fucking wrestling. We kind of missed your we missed your presence in part one because Godzilla versus Kong, uh, the Toho original, those two dudes in those suits were highly influenced by professional wrestling, which was becoming huge at the time in Japan. So they oh, were yeah. doing a bunch I of mean, wrestling moves. Because, I mean, it's like the two things after, um, you know, once once movies were, once they were able to, you know, start, living like a society again after you know america had neutered them uh the two things that saved japan were um you know the godzilla film and then you know uh, other films but the the thing that really truly helped and and, uh, believe it or not the thing that helped them heal as a nation (laughs) was professional wrestling because ricky dozan became the god of wrestling there and his whole gimmick was he would beat evil white westerners <laughs> yeah and as a nation they would they healed and they began to get their face back yeah i love it and that's why we're sending godzilla packing <laughs> That's The head writer, Terry Rossio, he wrote uh, Aladdin, Shrek, and all five Pirates of the Caribbean films, so good pedigree there. Um, I don't really have much more to say about it. 2019, you know, they shot it in 2019. They didn't get too affected by pandemic, at least in terms of shooting it, at least. Well, Hawaii, he kept fucking Australia. with it. Yeah, he yeah. kept re... Like, he was like, I feel like we've got a better movie in here, and he, mm. he just kept fucking with it. Do you think it'll so, be good or you know, do you think it'll be shitty? Well, I don't think that we're going to have to watch a four hour cut on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, but, at least there's uh, that. You know, and, and, and be sure and turn the color off on your TV set the way that Zack Snyder intended it to be a four hour black and white movie, kids. But uh, we'll see. We'll, 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 we'll see what we get. I mean, it's, it's, it's Godzilla versus Kong. I mean, it's you can't fuck that up even when you fuck it up. Yeah. For me. 100%. Agreed. The 
1976 version, uh, 1967, my mistake, Japanese uh, version. Like I said, it was it's a formative memory being told that, yes, a King Kong versus Godzilla movie does exist. And no, it's not that great. That was right. terrifying to me. <laughs> it's I mean, the though. Kong in it is so dumb looking. Yes. I mean, they purposely so because they wouldn't let them make it anything like the American version. Right. Uh so that was a big part of that. Oh, but, um, uh, weird, weird coda. Sure. Uh, in 1986, Universal, still stinging over the fact that they kind of had the rights to King Kong, sued Nintendo over the rights to Donkey Kong because of a, uh, they were just, I think it was, what's his name? Sid Sheinberg again, literally just saw an ad for the video game and was like, Hey, they can't do that. We we kind of own that, right? I think that's uh, sue them. Sue they can't everybody. do that to our pledges. Only we can do that to our pledges. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, they end up suing uh, Coleco. They end up suing Tiger Electronics. It's a big fucking deal. Uh, a nascent uh, Nintendo of America is thinking they'll settle, but then gets their spine up and they take it all the way to court. They lose uh, just on the fact that the Universal lawsuit was, um, A, just a little bit too aggressive and punitive. Two, the fact that we mentioned before that they really don't have a in-paper um, confirmation that they even had the rights to begin with. And B, Universal had licensed their own King Kong video games, and they were knockoffs themselves of Donkey Kong, which then left them open to a reverse fucking kung fu flip of a countersuit. So the whole thing was just kind of settled and the thing was done away with. Well, there you go. Uh, all right, March 24th, 2021. You can stream this movie on HBO Max. I'm sure that's how they want you to watch it on a small television. Use your phone. Use your old phone. Find your old phone that you keep in your nightstand and watch it on that as, as right. the filmmakers Just- <laughs> intended. Plug your VCR into your streaming device, tape it, and then watch it on a smaller set with the VCR built into the TV set, like your mom. CRT, yeah. And make sure it's on extended recording, like where you get eight hours per, per tape, yes. so it's like the good quality. Yes. All tape, right. tape something on the tape of like a few times for like the days leading up to this, and then record it. And make sure you just start randomly hitting the tracking buttons. Really just fuck that shit up. And then take a piss on it before you... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then take it to the airport and put it in the uh, the, the X-ray machine, <laughs> and then hurt hurt a guy while you watch it. Yeah, Just hurt, hurt someone. Um, all right, we're done here. And Matt, talk the whole time it's on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh God! I just I went on a date not uh, uh, well forever ago because I'm ma- well married now. Um, but I went on a date with this girl. She talked to me all through the movie, and I really wanted to see the movie because I was like a big fan of uh, the director. And afterwards, she was just like, "Oh yeah, I watched it last night." What? So sad. I was just like, "Why would you?" <laughs> we could have seen something else. <laughs> if this was a King Kong movie, she'd be like the third person to get eaten. You realize yeah, that, right? Exactly. Yeah, I did not. Uh, I actually went on one more date with her, but um. I ended it after that. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for King Kong Part 2. I am freshly, fully Konged. Matt, what do you got? Give us the plugs. Scream Uh, it. Every Wednesday, uh, the We Watch Wrestling podcast, me and Vince Averill, we talk pro wrestling. And uh, I'm going to be – I've I've taken a break. You know, I I got so – I got so jaded after, you know, Warner Brothers kept moving the release date of my my precious Godzilla versus Kong film. 
Uh, but uh, justifying my movie collection available wherever you listen to podcasts. I will be uh, uh, contributing more to that show coming up soon. And at McCarthy Redhead, all forms of social media. Oh, and uh, uh, get my uh, album Sober Dad on all yeah. digital streaming, downloading Wherever you listen to things, listen to Sober Dad, Matt McCarthy. Love it. That's me. Love it. Check us out on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. That's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Ooh, weekly episodes for just $5 a month. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Oh, my God. Does he stream? Yes, he does. Does he do it on Twitch? Absolutely. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Jake? Really got to push that uh, Patreon flesh. $5 a month gets you bonus episodes and uh, for... Uh, check the higher tiers to join our weekly Sunday study session where we take deep dives into upcoming topics along with the Discord chat. You stream with us, you talk with us, and fr- quite frankly, we'll probably steal a bunch of your ideas when it's time to record the episode. That's that's a privilege we're offering to you, the listener. <laughs> Thank you. Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung for all my thoughts and plops. And until next time, Holden, remember, always be whizzing. Never stop bruising. <laughs> All right. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.